All right. Um, so here's here's what I want to talk about today. Um, it's it's kind of a mix between what might be a good farmhouse conversation night, um, but also trying to pair that with what we might actually get into on a Sunday morning. Um, and the topic is is this exile? That's what I've what I've titled this. Is this exile and I want to explore how the current experience seems to me to be similar to how exile is experienced um, for Israel. And this brings up some questions about judgment and um, what's called theodicy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to type that word um, down here in the chat just so everyone can, can see it because it's kind of a strange word to say, theodicy. I don't know if it's one that people are familiar with. If you're not familiar with the word, you are familiar with the concept. Um, it's, it's basically, how, how does God allow suffering to happen? If God is good and God is all-powerful, how is there still suffering? How is there still evil? Um, and it's, it's the pursuit to try to give a defense for how, um, how God should, can still be God in the midst of that. And, and throughout history, there's been all sorts of different um, concepts that have been given to explain how theodicy works. But I think our current situation actually brings, brings this up. So I'm going to give us a, a couple sort of disclaimers out front. First, what I am talking about, I in no way mean to imply that the coronavirus is God's judgment, okay? So I just want to get that out of the way now. If you saw the, the picture or you saw the post on Facebook or, or you just heard me <clears throat> open up with that and your head went to like, oh, is he saying that God caused coronavirus to judge the world? That is not what I am saying. Um, I'm sure there are people, actually I heard one this week um, of uh, some Christian um, what do they call those people who, the, the cable TV preachers, you know who I'm talking about? Um, I heard one this week come out and say that this is, God is judging um, uh, the world, and this is like the <laughs> Kenneth Copeland, <laughs> Tracy, <laughs> easy now. <laughs> I'm not going to get into Kenneth Copeland. Um, but that's not what I mean. Um, I, I don't understand judgment in that way, regardless, but um, I... I think it would be a, it's a convenient sort of trope to be like, oh, this bad thing's happening. God caused it. Um, and here's, we're going to explain why God caused it. And it's going to happen to be all of the things we don't like. Um, <clears throat> that's, it's, it's a convenient thing to use and it's poor theology. So that is not what I mean. All right. So I said that up front. I'm not saying that the coronavirus is, is caused by God to judge people. <clears throat> What I do want to get into is how judgment works within the biblical narrative and how exile fits into that and maybe what that means for us and, and what we might do with it, okay? So to, to start with judgment, um, there's a couple texts that we'll look at here. If you have a Bible, absolutely have that out um, so you can move around. I'll also um, show you my screen, which has uh, some text on it, and, and you, can, you can interact with it that way. 
looking around to see who's here. Okay, so most of you are parents or you have interacted with children to some extent, I believe. If, if you haven't, then uh, you should probably go and hang out with some kids sometime. Um, but most of you know what that is like, or you have seen family members' parents. My understanding of judgment is similar to what I experience as a parent to my children. So let's give an example. If I tell one of my kids <clears throat> not to build a fire in the middle of the living room, and then I say, and if you do, you will burn the house down, and it won't be good for any of us, okay? And then my kids proceed to burn the house down. My response will be, I told you this was going to happen, and now we all have to pick up the pieces of what you just decided to do. That's judgment, okay? So I, I, I'll leave that metaphor out there, that illustration, to kind of allow you to, to start thinking through what I mean when I, when I, say, when I say judgment. Um, I do believe that this is how God's judgment works. Um, and for those of you on screen, um, or if you're able to use the chat, how many, how many of you have um, thought about or worked through the idea of um, God's judgment? Is that something that, you're fam that you've familiarized yourself with, etc.? Can it just see like a show of hands or um, a yes in the comments? Okay. Tracy's given me a kind of, that's honest, that's fair, that's fine. Um, a couple yeses, a couple sures, okay. So, so my problem here is <clears throat> my, my understanding of, um, of judgment is that it is different than how a lot of people, especially in modern Christianity, uh, talk about judgment, okay? And I want to be honest about that, especially <clears throat> if you're, if you're very, if you're very um, historical. Around like the 19th century, um, something called the Second Great Awakening happened in America. And this is where we see what's called modern evangelicalism really start. And um, that's where a lot of our current language on God's judgment comes from. Though, let's be honest, uh, like 10th century, 11th century, as medieval Europe starting to kind of come into its own, this same kind of language is used. <clears throat> but it's not very traditional. And um, Chantel, you just started sharing your screen with all of us. Is that, was that intentional? Maybe, maybe not. Um, no, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to figure out how to even use a chat. <laughs> okay, so, so those of you who are looking for the chat, if you, if you go to the bottom of your Zoom window, there's a bunch of things. There's mute, there's stop video, there's invite, manage participants share screen, and then there's a chat window. Uh, it's, a little, it's a little comment box image, and it says chat under it. You click that, and it'll, it'll pull up this window off to the side, um, and that's how you can chat, okay? 
Um, so, anyways, let's just let's get back in. Let's get back in. Chantal, you distracted me. What am I going to do? All right, I'm going to share my screen with all of you. So if you're using the screen, you'll be able to see uh, the text that I am working with. So um, let's start with, can all of you see this? If you can't see it, uh, say something, let me know. Um, so first is Deuteronomy 28. So let's start with Deuteronomy 28. <clears throat> I'm sure this is a passage that all of you read very frequently. This is like your morning devotions. You know, you, you just go right back to Deuteronomy 28 again and again and again. This is all tongue-in-cheek. I'm guessing most of you have never read Deuteronomy. It's a difficult one to get through. I understand. All right. So Deuteronomy 28 is the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And so what Deuteronomy does is it kind of rehashes um, Israel's experience after they're liberated from Egypt, right? And they're wandering and what happens and what rules get set up and um, how Torah is supposed to work and these different stories about Moses, etc. And it ends with this, this, this image that I have of like God as a parent going, all right, and before we go, I want to lay out a couple things of how this is going to work. And you get this thing called the blessings. And then if you scroll down in your Bible, um, you get this other section starting in verse 15. And this is often referred to as the curses. And you see, curse shall you be, curse shall you be. Okay. And the question that we have to ask when we read Deuteronomy, especially this, this part down here with uh, verse 15 on, is... How do these curses work? Because these are essentially acts of judgment. Um, and again, I want my goal is by the end of this, all of you will hear the phrase judgment um, in the way of how I would interact with my children if they burnt down the house after me telling them not to start a fire in the living room. <clears throat> and seriously, many of you, you know, thinking about your parental lens or um, how you've interacted with kids in different ways. Like you, you've seen this to some degree. Okay. So I'm just going to read a couple of these. Um, and if you have some thoughts, go ahead and chime in. So starting in verse 15, but if you will not obey the Lord, your God by diligently observing all his commandments and decrees, which I am commanding you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Curse shall you be in the city and curse shall you be in the field. Curse shall you be in be your basket and your kneading bowl. Curse shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, the increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock. Curse shall you be when you come in and curse shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you disaster, panic, and frustration in everything you attempt to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until it has consumed you from the land that you are entering to possess. How are we doing so far? <clears throat> you like it? Everybody enjoying Deuteronomy 28? Um, hey, Matt, can you get me some coffee? Thanks. Everybody say hi to Matt. He can't hear you. Don't worry about it. 
nobody nobody cares about Matt anyways. Just kidding, we love Matt. <laughs> Julie said, boy, is that is that de depressing? The Clark said, we're in trouble. Um, no, seriously, it, it, it's a little bit tricky to go with, right? So, so what do you notice about, um, and, and I'm going to ask, like somebody, somebody with a thought, unmute the mic, let's offer something here. What do you notice about what God has said just, just so far? And, and, you know, this list goes on. Like you can see me scrolling through here. This is, it keeps on going. All right. So what do you notice about, um, thank you, my servant. There we go. We got our coffee. Ask and you shall receive. Right. What do you notice about these curses? <clears throat> do you have your computer? Do you have your computer? Tyler, I was just going to say that nothing, basically nothing would come easy if we're going to disobey God. Okay, so obedience is kind of portrayed as like, this is how this, is how this will work well. Uh, disobedience will lead to, well, you know, this list of things. Is that kind of what you're saying, Chantel? Okay. Yeah. Good. Anybody else? You, come sit up here. See the screen. Amy is here. Amy has uh, been helping Matt. So, so we are. We have groceries, um, kind of like co-op on steroids, where we're going to try to offer groceries, um, so people don't have to go to the store. Um, and it's kind of like a click list thing that we're doing with the co-op. That, that's a good way to put it. A click list for the co-op. Um, so we have that. And so Matt and Amy are here making that happen. Um, say hi to Amy. Here she is. Hey guys. <laughs> I miss all of you. They don't. They. She. Amy can't hear you because uh, I have headphones in. And so I'll pass on what you all just said. Um, they said they don't miss you at all. I'm sure they don't. What are you even doing here? <laughs> so sorry, Amy. <laughs> yeah, I am actually going to unplug my headphones. Nobody's really talking, anyways. But. Um, okay, so Deuteronomy 28, and I bet Le Amy loves Deuteronomy. <laughs> Not as much as Leviticus. I, yeah, I don't know that she actually does. All right, so what I think is important is verse 15, right here. It starts with, but if you will not obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all his commandments and decrees, which I am commanding you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So anything that you're, you're hearing within the rest of this, like specifically verse 20, the Lord will send upon you disaster, panic and frustration and everything you attempt to do. So if Israel experiences disaster, panic, frustration and something they attempt to do or any of these things, their first response could be, God just randomly did this to us and we're being punished which actually sounds a lot like how my kids respond when I confront them. However, they have to remember that what God said was, if you don't obey these commandments, 
this is going to happen. Um, and that sounds kind of like a, a, an author, authoritarian parent, but what is, what is God saying? Hey, I've given you Torah. I've given you the way to live. I've given you these instructions for how the world's supposed to work, how creation's supposed to unfold. I've, I've told you exactly what the blueprint for the universe is. If you decide not to do that, things are going to get out of whack. Things are going to get problematic. And, and here's this list of stuff that will happen. And so if, if my kid burns down the house because he started a fire in the living room, which I said, that's not how the household works. That's not how this is meant to, to function. And then I say, now we're going to have to rebuild the house and we're going to have to, we have to lose all of our stuff. And then if, if one of my kids responds by going, why are you punishing me? I'd be like, hey, dude, not punishing you. This is, the, this is the natural consequences for what you chose. All right? All right? Is everybody following so far? Okay. The goal of this is for it to not be a monologue. Uh, so how do, you, uh, how do you see, how do you understand what's happening there? Somebody give me their initial reaction to what we just said, and then we'll, we'll move on. But we won't move on until, um, and I'm not, listen, I'm not punishing you. I'm telling you that this is how these conversations are meant to work. Can you, can you unmute your mic, Sean? Yeah, it won't, it won't. There, yes. There we go. Yes, we can unmute our mic. I just wasn't fast enough before you started speaking again. So Mike just told me I needed to shake my head harder. So the problem is I, in the silence, feel like I have to fill the silence with my voice. So I will slow down um, upon asking for interaction, okay? Yeah, we're old. You're, yeah, you're going to have to give us, silence. you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're not as agile as you. <laughs> I need to know, no, is my mic going. working? <laughs> okay, somebody's going. Go ahead. Is my mic working? I, mm -hmm. I had to go to settings and set it. This is Julie. Is it working? Yes, I got you, Julie. Yep, go ahead. Okay. No, I just wanted to make sure my mic was working. <laughs> I'm the same as Sean. Sean, this is like, I don't know. I, you know. Okay. Yeah. I nope. missed half of what you said because I had to go to settings and, and do my mic. So, sorry. No, I'm that's okay. All right. Give me uh, the next one. So, so here's, here's just what I want us to, to see. When you hear the word judgment, can you start affiliating that with natural consequences? God's judgment is actually this, this parental, here's going to be the consequences if you choose to go this way, right? If you stick your hand in that hole in the rock, you're going to get bit by a snake. And that's not God going, and I... And, and causing you this pain, it's God going, I, I tried to show you how, how to navigate this, this landscape. And if you choose not to do that, yeah, the things aren't, aren't going to go well. Okay? So let me, um, go ahead. I like what um, Trisha said. That's what I was thinking is that sometimes I don't like to even broach this topic because in my experience, church leaders did use this to judge everyone and then church members used this to judge each other. And so it made, it made me very um, nervous to even speak on things that I needed prayer for 
or to talk about, to be truthful mm-hmm. about things that were going on in my life. And this seems to be like the root of pretending and being fake and not living a realistic life. Yeah. 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 Um, so here's one thing I'll say to respond to that is there's two different forms of judgment in the Bible. The one is God's judgment, which would be this Deuteronomy 28, for example, that's reserved for God. And Paul even brings this up in first Corinthians where he says like, not only should you not judge one another in this way, um, you can't because you're not working with all the information. Only God can, can engage with that. Um, and then there is like how we judge and interact with one another. And you get like Jesus saying, Hey, do not judge unless you be judged or, um, you know, there's more nuanced understandings of how judgment works within individuals. That's different. That's not this. This is, this is reserved for um, a non-human entity. Okay. The other thing that I would say, somebody's calling me. Um, the other thing that I would say is when it... Uh, hold on. The Trisha said, back in Leviticus, does it say that along with the rules, there's much mercy? Okay. So the other thing I would say is we have to pay attention to how this judgment unfolds. I'm not sure that Leviticus actually goes into that, um, but Deuteronomy does, and the book of Judges does, and First Kings does, and all of the prophets do. And so that's where we needed to start with um, judgment as natural consequences, okay? The next place that this invites us to go is what do we do when those natural consequences unfold? And this actually seems to be the point. So let's flip over here to Exodus 8. Everybody got me here on Exodus 8? Or uh, if you've got a Bible with you, go on down to Exodus 8. So, uh, we're not going to actually read anything here. <clears throat> the, this is the plagues. Everybody familiar with the plagues? If you're not familiar the, with the plagues and you want an explanation of the plagues, either chat or tell me before I move on here. Okay. So these plagues happen. Here's my question. Who experiences the plagues? See how many of you are paying attention in Sunday school. (laughs) Two people vote for everyone. Anybody else got any thoughts? Everyone is the correct answer. Everyone endures the plagues, even Israel. So did Israel cause the plagues? No, Egypt did. And yet Israel still has to go through the plagues. Okay, so is this making sense so far? Uh, Mike and Sean are about to give you guys an agricultural demonstration. Uh, They have their own YouTube channel called farmingfromhome.com. Um, I'm just kidding. I, I'm jealous that you're outside. 
I wish that I was outside right now. Um, it, it's really awesome, except that now we can't see the screen. So, yeah. <laughs> Apologies. You got you to pick and choose there, you know? Yeah, um, well, I can hear you. <laughs> all right. So everyone has to endure these plagues. And what I think is really important to understanding, so judgment is natural consequences. Okay, you start there. And then you go, God always gives a way to endure the curses, to endure the plagues, to endure the judgment so that you can get back. All right, and this is, so think about exile. Um, before Israel ever repents in any of their exiles, God gives them a way to return home. Okay, so the idea that, they, that Israel needed to do something to get God's grace, not true. God already forgives their sin and brings them back into the land before they ever do anything about it, all right? And so what we see in the book of Exodus here is that Israel Israel's negatively affected by these plagues, by this judgment. They're, they're a part of it, even though they didn't do anything to, to deserve it. Um, and what we find is that God gives them a way to endure these curses. Does anybody know what that is? And I'm, I'm skipping ahead to it. So if you're following my text, you're going you're gonna to eventually make sense of it. So this is how the plagues end. Exodus 11, it's the death of the firstborn. Um, and if you're, if, you're, if you're a little bit fuzzy on the plagues and you're like, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know. Um, the first thing that you got to see is like all these plagues are somehow interacting with the deities of Egypt at the time. The second thing, though, is that all of these plagues are a reversal of how God creates the world in the book of Genesis. Okay, so it, it, it is constantly confronting some component of creation, and then it gets all the way dark, um, and then there's a lack of life. And then the, we find out the, the world, as the sea that they're going to cross, is covered in water, and God again splits the, the water and brings forth dry well, land, and it's an act of nuclear. I got somebody's TV on in the background, and I don't know. Hold on. I got to figure out where this is coming from. Yeah. Okay. Whoever whoever it was left. Uh, and I should have I should have had the automatic mute thing on and I did not. Anyways, okay, so back to uh the, the Exodus. Let's get out of let's get uh, back in Exodus for a bit. Um and so that's the whole thing with the plagues. We actually gave some teachings on this back in like 2015 when we went through the book of Exodus. We called this the reversal of creation. And um, this pairs with judgment. God has said this is how the world's supposed to work. Egypt decides not to do that. They end up reversing creation to the extent that these plagues manifest within the world. And that's a problem. And it's not God going like, all right, I have to confront these Egyptians. I'm sending the frogs. It's God going, you've created a world in which you now have to live. And this is what it looks like. And I'm going to allow that to happen. But God still provides a way to endure those curses and, and remove themselves from that exile, from that judgment. Does anybody know what it is in, uh, in the book of Exodus? 
It looks like he gives them favor, but I don't know if that's a way. Well, but you could also look at it as God doesn't give the Israel favor because they have to, all of their livestock's killed too. How's that fair? Right? There, there's another act that happens. I'll, I'll uh, go back to this here. It happens in Exodus 12. Is it the Passover? Yes, but something specific within the Passover, because they are told they're not going to be exempt from their firstborn dying. Okay, the death that Egypt is going to experience, Israel is going to as well, except God gives them a way to endure that curse and therefore escape it. Does anybody know what it is? He tells them no one, no one will. Um, they, they put a blood, like the blood shall be the sign in verse thirteen, maybe. Yeah. Yep, right there. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. How does Israel endure the curses? <coughs> Death. All right. Now. Some of the stuff we're putting together for Palm and Passion Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, etc. This is like an important image because every gospel positions Jesus' death and resurrection within the context of Passover, which means we should know this. We should know what's going on in Exodus 12. Okay. So whenever there is judgment and there's curses, God always gives a way to endure the curses. So here's, let's, let's recap. Hold on, got some chats. Let me open that up. My internet is, lack, is laggy. Did Tyler say death is how Israel endured? Yes, Tyler did. Um, and specifically, the lamb and the lamb's blood acts as, as a symbol for Israel's, for Israel's blood. And there, yeah, you have to get into conversations like, why is God demanding blood? And that seems kind of weird. Why can't God just say, you know, Israel, you get a free pass. Why does this thing have to happen? Um, and, I, and I actually think there's something to be said for not only is death their way of escaping the plagues, death has a way of bringing new life, a new kind of life. Um, and, and this is where I think the connection with Jesus is important. It's not just that somebody has to die here. It's that death actually can constitute something new um, for Israel and for the world. Um, and that's what I see a, the Apostle Paul doing when he redacts back um, talking about Jesus' death. All right, so let's recap. Natural consequences is judgment. Judgment has to be endured by everyone. How you endure the judgment, how you endure those natural consequences, those curses, is going to have uh, pretty big implications for the kind of world that we'll find ourselves in. So here's what I think needs to be said about this. The question is not going to be, all right, so let's let's jump back to Deuteronomy 28, all right? Here we are, all these curses, right? The question is not going to be whether or not you will experience judgment. You will, because either you will do something that will cause these natural consequences to emerge or somebody else will and it'll affect you because we are interdependent and connected and whether we like it or not, other people's decisions affect us all the time. 
Okay, so the question is not whether or not you will experience judgment, natural consequences. The question is, how will you endure them? That's the only thing we have to care about. Um, now, Jesus actually tells a story about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and he says that an encroaching storm is coming. Um, does everybody tracking with me on what I'm talking about with this storm? An encroaching storm is coming. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and he says there's going to be two responses to the storm. And it's based on two different kinds of houses you could build. Everybody connecting the dots there? Okay. Notice that Jesus doesn't say only the bad people are going to experience the storm. Everybody else is going to be fine. Jesus says everybody's going to experience the storm. The way you build your house is how you will endure the storm or not endure the storm. But it's coming. Okay, so that's, everybody gets caught up in this. Here's the other thing about, another thing about judgment. So if you're taking notes, natural consequences, everybody experiences how you endure. The other thing is that judgment always exposes us for who we are. So go back to parenting, okay? Um, so I, I really wish I would have chosen a different metaphor than my kids building a fire in the living room. Because uh, that's starting to get more complicated. Um, I want something easier. So somebody has a, an easier metaphor to use there. But um, when my children decide to do that, after I've said, you know, not a good idea to do that. And then they, uh, what you could call, reap what they sow. And now have to live in the world where they've made this decision. In that confrontation... So what we see God doing here in Deuteronomy, in that confrontation, we actually find out a little bit of what you are like. Um, and I have a quote here that I've used before. Um, where so, so judgment exposes you. We get to see you. Um, this actually comes from the book of Revelation, where judgment is talked about as all the lights getting turned on. And so anything that you've hid, we're going to see. Anything that you've buried, we're going to see. Um, all, all the lights get on. And, and in crisis, in suffering, in judgment, we're getting to see what it is that has allowed this kind of world to, to take place. And um, the quote, I don't know where it's from. Sorry, I can't source it for you. When the world cuts you open like a knife, what will we find? And this is where I want to start getting into... Um, our, our global situation today. When the world cuts you open like a knife, what will we find? Yeah, Amy's, Amy's got a comment. Well, you were asking for a better metaphor and you were talking about it being a blueprint for the universe. If you have a blueprint and you don't build the house according to that, you're going to yeah. have a mess and what will be exposed is all of your bad work. It's like you've done shoddy work or you've done careless work. And so now the building doesn't stand very well. Or the barn. Or the barn. <laughs> we should make this into like a parable. There you go. There was once a church that built a new barn. And the construction company didn't follow the blueprint well. It did some <laughs> bad work. And we all got to see the negative effects of we their bad work. In the bathroom that doesn't want to close. Yeah. No, okay, so that's actually good, right? You don't follow the blueprint. Um, and and so, so first, 
you build the world that you find yourself in. Okay, and that can be beautiful and great, right? That's the whole first part of Deuteronomy 28. It can be wonderful. Um, it can also be terrible. And when that happens, when, when you find yourself in the world that you have created, um, it's like getting cut open with a knife and we get to see what's in there. And we get to see who you are in the midst of those things. Um, so what do we do with this today? Again, I do not think that coronavirus is God's judgment, all right? And hopefully by now you have, uh, you have made this connection of based on this understanding of judgment, God couldn't cause coronavirus, right? It, like it, it's, not even, it's not even possible for that to happen. Um, what could happen is we have created a world in which certain things are going to happen and God allows us to to endure that. Okay. Deb, did you have something to say? No, I had trouble. Somebody called me. Now I got to get back on. Ah, okay. No, that's fine. I just saw you were unmuted and, and wanted to make sure um, you had that option. Okay. So leave out that I think God explicitly caused coronavirus out of nowhere to punish people. That's not what's happening here. I think humans, let's go with the, the building metaphor. Humans built a particular kind of world in which God said, you know that by cre creating this, here's some of the problems that it could cause. And that's not necessarily a disease or virus that goes and spreads and causes a lot of chaos. It's that the world that we've created might not be able to handle when a virus takes off. Um, because here's the deal viruses get developed all the time and they don't always cause this problem so for us to say like god caused this one um viruses seem pretty natural within the global experience this one's causing some specific problems not even because it's causing some people to get sick look what it's doing to our society and that's that's what i want to focus on okay um so one more example from this. If you have a Bible, go ahead and go to uh, Exodus 23. And I will pull that up on here if anybody wants to look at it on my screen. Exodus 23, it's a wonderful, wonderful little chapter in Exodus. It's talking about justice. And... Um, here, what, is, what do you see happening in verses 10 and 11? Thinking back, connecting this to Deuteronomy 28. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie follow. That would be an example of a blueprint. Okay. Whoops. Going over to Deuteronomy 15. Let's see. Okay, for example, verse 7 here. If there's among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that your Lord your God is giving you, 
do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbor. That's a blueprint, okay? So what happens if you don't let the land lie follow? And what happens if you don't take care of your neighbor who has needs? What do you think is going to result? Capitalism. Somebody have a connection to make there? I just, I remember the neighbors who, um, who reached out to me. Like, it's funny because Sean, Sean just reached out to me recently to offer something that she had extra of, which is really cool. And so I don't know, like just a practical application is you remember the neighbors who reach out to you and, and you want to bless them back and it builds relationships that are strong. Yeah. What happens if you don't do that? Not just, not just, uh, yeah, so Christy just typed negative consequences, and that's right. But Christy, let's make a, a more tactile connection. What happens to the land if you don't allow it to rest, if you don't take care of it? Um, what happens to society if neighbors aren't taken care of by neighbors? It gets burned out. <clears throat> it gets used up. It gets used up, like the land, if you don't um, allow it to, if you, if you take too much nutrition out of the soil, then your crops will start to fail. Sure. Um, and, hey, and you sound like a farmer. <laughs> I <laughs> gotta say that. That's well, why you rotate crops and you right. don't plant 24, you know, 365 days of the year. Yeah, mm -hmm. you have to and, let it and rest. So, so, like we, you read Exodus 23, you live in a rural community. We already know this right this is this is something that people do so so take that if you don't do that it's not god's gonna cause the land not to produce you cause the land not to produce and god's going to allow you to make that decision god will also find a way to help you endure that curse and be liberated from that but it's not this is where we have to look at it not as like god going like all right they they didn't uh, they didn't let the land lie follow there i guess i'm gonna smite them it's God going Deuteronomy 28. If you don't allow the land to lie follow, you're going to experience this negative consequence from it, right? If you don't take care of your neighbors, what's that, what's that society going to end up looking like, right? Those are negative consequences that directly conflict with what Torah is trying to say. That's judgment. That's what's going to happen. All right, so here we are. A virus makes its way into um civilization and we're not a, you know there's a lot of debate you know i'm looking forward to 10 20 years from now when when people start like explaining historically how all of this has unfolded um we're not incredibly well equipped to handle this one but like uh like what we see with being cut open like a knife what has this exposed in us and what kind of world have we built? What kind of blueprints have we decided on our own um, that we're now seeing the natural consequences for? And that's why I say, is this exile? And I say yes. Um, and I don't think it's just because of um, 
the coronavirus. I think that our civilization has been choosing its own kind of exile for a while. And we're now reaping the benefits of such a system of thought, um, such a system of behavior. Um, if you need to go heavy into the like America um, is kind of getting what it had coming, fine. The problem is it's the whole world right now. Um, so what do we what do we do with this? How are we going to endure the curses that we have chosen? And I'm specifically using exile language because there's a phrase that comes along with exile that I think is um, really important. If anybody knows what that is, we can go ahead and skip um, all the conversation and <laughs> jump right to that. No, you're good. If you can, you can go in. Tyler, I was just thinking of the metaphor. Well, not the metaphor, but what um, God offered them, which was which was death. And I think that this whole um, this whole thing is kind of bringing like there's a death of what used to be, and um, there's been a life to like things that I didn't even consider before that have been like really big blessings. Like doing this, like I've I've had Zoom meetings with people that I would have never had time to have Zoom meetings with, but they've been so like healthy and helpful and relationship building. And we've had conversations with our kids that we would have never had time to have um, that were that are changing so much about our family dynamic and just um, really bonding us together. So even though there's been a death of how life used to be, there's um, a new there's new opportunities that have like, they're stunning. They choke me up about what has been able to occur. Yeah. And that's similar to what Trisha and Christy both just said. Trisha said, I think we will all be changed from this. And you know, kind of what you're saying Chantel is like, we've already kind of been changed from it. Um, and then Christy said death of how we choose to live now, which will bring a new life, a better life. I didn't know you were a preacher, Christy. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's what's powerful about it. So every time that Israel goes into exile, what do the prophets say? Repent. Turn around. Go back to the blueprint. Go, go back to Torah. Start doing this right again. Um, and remember, before they repent, God already forgives their sin and allows them to, to come out of exile. But the, the push is like, when you experience this, will, will you have an opportunity to reset and to return. And when we're confronted with a situation like this, what do we have to repent from? That should be our question, okay? If somebody wants to get caught up in like, why would God allow this to happen? I'm not interested. I, I, you can probably have a nice classical Greek philosophy conversation with that person. Probably not a very biblical one. What I want to ask is, um, so this is what has happened, and I believe we've chosen this. What are we going to do about it now? How are we going to be different as a result of that? And, and that's where 
that's where the conversation should go. Anytime judgment is brought up, we're enduring the curses. These are the natural consequences for the world that we've chose. It's exposed us. So now what are we going to do? How are we going to be different in response to all of this? Um, the, and going kind of with what you said, Chantel, is I am fascinated by how creative human beings are getting right now. Um, we, are, we are seeing a lot of creative things that would not have been uncovered um, had we not been put in a situation of difficulty, suffering, crisis, etc. Um, I think crisis brings out a lot of innovation. Um, so I'm open to hearing from you all, like what you think needs to change. Um, there's something else that I wanted to, to mention there. Yeah. If I think of it, I'll bring it back up. But um, So what do you think that our invitation is in the midst of this? I don't know, Tyler. I think the, the it's kind of a way to say to us, we, we need to step back and take care of ourselves, take care of each other. And in just doing those things, we make this world a better place. And, and that's what God wanted. We're moving closer to God if we take care of ourselves and each other. I mean, I think that, I think that you could make a case that, hey, if we want to figure out what to do here, just go back to Torah. All the answers are right there. Like you can, you can have it all figured out. That's your blueprint, right? And of course, we have to do a lot of work um, trying to transpose what Torah needs to look like uh, in our 21st century context. But you know, th this is where like biblical literacy could be really helpful because you can go like, what, what is the image of how the world's supposed to be set up? What is the image of what shalom looks like? What the kingdom of God looks like? Um, and, and, and I think that we, we have those, but we, we need to be familiar with them and we need to practice them. Right. Um, Christy, oh, you know how, um, you know how to get on my good side, place economy. Absolutely. We are only as healthy as our sickest members take care of one another. And particularly, you know, I think this is the biblical idea that the, the, lowest the simplest denomination of health is the health of the whole thing right um and and so if you have a world let's paint this picture real quick if you have a world in which some people have health at the expense of other people's health and then you get a situation where our social norms can't function the same way and you see not only people's like physical medicinal health deplete, but also their relational and their social and their cultural health deplete. I can't help but look at what people are saying right now about being isolated and such and being like, isn't this what you asked for? Isn't this what you wanted? Isn't this how you've been living, you know, the whole time? Um, Trisha said, I think it shows us how important relationships are and being in person to feel each other's energy. Like what Sean just said, self-care is important to care for others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want you guys, so one thing that really frustrates me, especially in political conversations, you know, if you're on Twitter enough, 
um, or even Facebook, you, you see this, but uh, what I call historical myopia. Uh, myopia is nearsightedness, <clears throat> and people have a hard time engaging with history past like what they can see in, in the front of their eyes. Um, and historical myopia, especially in terms of like, let's, let's look at what's happened since like the 1800s in the world. And would you say it's a good thing? Yeah, a lot of progress has been made. How many of you like going to the dentist? Okay, you wouldn't have that had we not made some of this progress. At the same time, have we created a sort of independence um, on uh, independence from God, independence from each other, independence from the earth, independence from ourselves, of which we are now um, experiencing the natural consequences of what happens when you do that. Um, I think that's, that's part of the conversation that has to be had. So how many of you remember uh, when it was last May, no, last April, last April, we had a pretty big Sunday. Uh, we announced that Harry was going to be leaving. Um, we announced uh, some major changes were about to happen. And I used this image from uh, the prophets and from Exodus of milk and honey. Does anybody remember that? Okay, there's the land of milk and there's the land of honey. Uh, the land of milk is uh, what you get when you're settled. There's some affluence, there's some comfort, um, you, and with that, some independence. The land of honey is you're in the wilderness and you're dependent on what the wilderness provides. You're dependent on God. You're, you're, you're kind of in the primitive basic, but that does something to your soul as well. And the picture that we get of exile is every time that Israel starts embodying the land of milk, that land of affluence and autonomy and, and privileged. Is it the other way around? Oh, I messed it up. <laughs> it's the other way around. Uh, everything I just said, switch it. The land of milk is where you're dependent on, on the, the world, the wilderness that you're traveling in. The land of honey can only happen because honey didn't come from bees for them. It came from figs, which a fig tree had to grow and that took time. And yes. Thank you, Amy. Glad you're here. Um, okay. So, but what you see is every time that the, uh, that Israel sort of enters into that, that privilege comfort, you know, everything's great and we don't need any help from anybody. God forcibly removes them to the land of honey um, or to the land of milk. Sorry. Gosh, darn it. To the land of milk. Um, and that's exile. And God takes credit for exile and says, I did this to you because you needed it. You needed to reset. What's interesting uh, any fans of the Gospel of John, you read the first chapter in the Gospel of John, and you run across Jesus interacts with this dude named Nathaniel. Any Nathaniel fans? And Nathaniel is sitting somewhere really specific under a fig tree. What's that an image of? Well, how is, how is the Gospel of John trying to position Jesus? Hey, Jesus is coming and he's going to blow this whole thing up and we're going to reset. Things have gotten out of control. We're going to reset. See, judgment not only is natural consequences, not only is we're given something to endure, not only does it expose us, judgment is opportunity for us to maybe get back into a better way of doing things. 
And so that's why I say right now, are we in exile? Have we been handed over to our own desires where we've lived in such comfort and affluence and, and you know, the, the silk slippers of history that we're finally being forced to deal with the natural consequences of the kind of world that we've set up? And let's be honest, this is a pretty minor one. We haven't all been ex- or deported into some crazy Assyrian civilization where we're going to be slaves. I'd say we have it pretty good. It's an opportunity, though, for us to ask hard questions about do things actually need to change? That's why I would say that this is a little bit um, like exile. I, I, there's that poem. I've already mentioned this before. There's that poem going around about how maybe we should compare this time to Sabbath. Um, I think it is, that is a, a, how do I say it without being too mean? Uh, it, it's, it's just theologically inaccurate according to what Sabbath is. What I would rather say is like, maybe we should treat this like exile and repent and have a societal move away from the kind of world that we've been creating into a different one that looks more like Genesis, that looks more like Israel's blessing, that looks more like the kingdom of God, that looks more like resurrection. I'd say that's... Um, our invitation today. Somebody disagree with me. Um, I Here's the problem, is if I'm the only one who talks, then everybody assumes that I'm the authority. And while I'm grateful that you allow me to be pastor and therefore that comes with a bit of authority, um, not everything that I just said is one-sided. Like there's, there's a whole other side to this conversation. So does anybody have anything where they'd be like, yeah, I don't know about some of that. Hey, Tyler, I'll talk. Everybody say hi to Kelly, old friend from Mount Union, currently visiting us from Arizona. Everybody say hi Hi to Kelly. Kelly. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Um, I've just been dealing with a lot of, like, guilt, I guess, and I'm curious what you think about that. And just Hmm. I have been thinking a lot these last two weeks just about what a unique opportunity this is to, like, reevaluate where I am in life, but I also, yeah, just feel really guilty that I still have a job and I have a lot of fill my time and I know a lot of other people don't. I'm just trying to figure out new ways to help people that, you know, I can't like volunteer places. It's really interesting. Just a weird. Okay. Um, mm. Vanessa and I had a conversation yesterday of what do you think quarantine would be like without children? <laughs> like would it would it be uh would it be yeah. boring or would it be way better than what we're all experiencing right now it's in very our lonely it's very lonely it's gonna say it's very lonely hold hold on julie yeah i'm uh my i think my internet is actually getting a little bit funky um so i didn't hear what you said julie can you try again I said it's very lonely. Ah, yes. I miss my and grandkids. And even, it's me and my, my husband. It's me and my husband. I was out sleeping right. in a barn yesterday because I needed something else to do than to sit in the house. It's very lonely. Give those kids a big hug. Well, if somebody wants to take my children for a couple of days, <laughs> you're more than welcome to. <laughs> Landon sat right there and he just said no <laughs> like I'm giving him away no okay um, 
he still loves you. So let's let's get back to Kelly's question about guilt. Um, you actually went in a direction that I wasn't uh, quite expecting when you first asked the question. Um, and, and I thought I kind of felt there was two parts to that. One, like immediate guilt of, um, you know, here's the deal. I'm not sick. And nobody that I know has become sick and possibly died from this yet. Okay. But, um, you know, I saw something that Tracy posted yesterday, an interaction with a clerk where they said, like, everybody's going to know somebody eventually who's died because of this. Right. Um, and is there, is there guilt in the midst of this is like, Hey, things aren't actually that bad for me. Um, or I, I have all this time. Is there something I should be doing with it? Um, so I think there's that. There's also the, the end of guilt that says we should all feel guilty if we're being honest about the world and what we live in. Um, I think guilt and exile are friends. And if exile is a result of natural consequences, guilt's not a bad thing. Um, and I try to, so every time that we do a confession here, I always try to say like, hey, this isn't meant to make you feel bad. Uh, if it induces guilt, the guilt is an opportunity for change. So I don't think guilt's a bad thing. I think shame is a bad thing. Do not shame yourself for any of this stuff. But you should have a sense of like, hey, have I contributed to this mess? Um, and if I have, and I'm going to be honest about it, can I do things differently? You know, guilt, guilt's an opportunity. So, so keeping that away from the shame conversation, um, but like let's put ourselves in the perspective of Israel. You get forced back into the land of milk, um, and, and you can go, what, what can I do differently now that we're in the wilderness again? And can Israel be better because of this, right? And I, and I kind of see that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus does not uh, keep from guilt, okay? He makes people feel guilty quite a bit. He doesn't shame them. He makes them feel guilty. Um, and that often inspires a different course of action, okay? Amy, you had something? Just that I was going to add that, yeah, guilt is a feeling that lets you know that you're not doing the thing you ought to do, and so you can fix it. Um, by doing the thing, you can start doing it. It would be like exile. And like you said, shame to me is more like something that maybe is imposed upon you from the outside. So you shouldn't feel ashamed of yourself. And you can shame yourself as yeah, well. Yeah, you can but, shame okay. yourself perhaps, but guilt is just an emotion. It's like yeah. any symptom that says, oh, I'm not doing something that I should be doing. And all you need to do then is say, I'm going to do the thing I need to do. Here's a good microcosm of this. Um, if I feel guilt because I... 10 Krispy Kreme donuts in the course of three days. And my body, this is a true story, by the way, <laughs> and my body feels terrible. Um, God didn't do that to me. I did. God is allowing that to expose itself. It's a form of judgment. If you eat like this, your body's not made for it. There's going to be some problems. And then, and I feel guilty for eating like that. Hopefully I go, let's not do that again. Um, or let's go actually make some good food and eat that, right? So that's kind of a, a right. synopsis of all of this together. But thank you for that question, Kelly. 
so Kelly mentioned you looking for for ways to volunteer and to help people and what I I guess my suggestion would be and, and I've been trying to do more is calling those people that I know who might be a little more disconnected than than most um, you know we, we've got We've got our Bible study group, a group of women that I'm associated with that we get together. But then making those calls outside of that as well, um, sometimes that in of itself is life-saving. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of brings up if, if you have spent the last season of your life not fostering authentic community, Right now, you're finding yourself in a place going, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know how I'm going to socially make it through this. Um, and again, hopefully that's recourse for change. However, you know, what you just brought up, Sean, is going like, the community that I have fostered doesn't need to be lost right now. Um, like, for example, yesterday, we let our kids Zoom with some other kids that they really wanted to see, but it's like, we're not we're going to see them. Like they got to see their cousins yesterday on a computer, which is, you know, a compromise. Um, but that, that's important as well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like that idea. Like the, one of the best things you can do right now is just have authentic conversation with somebody. Um, and that's part of what I'm hoping happens to this is like just the fact that we get to hear from each other and see each other. That's, that's as, as important, if not more important than whatever's getting said right now. Um, I hope you learn some things great, but I hope you also get to see some human beings and interact in a online room. Um, uh, somebody just said something here. Oh, there's been a couple of things. Um, Tracy said, I'd have more internet. I'd have no clue what you meant, Tracy. Um, but okay, cool. Maybe. Okay. Uh, my mom or Trisha, I don't know if I'm supposed to call you my mom or Trisha. That's my mom. Um, if we were isolated without children, I'd have more internet. <laughs> Same. All right. So uh, going back to the curses and the plagues, I'm thinking how it is affecting those who are impoverished and those who are privileged. Yeah. Hoping that it changes the hearts and actions of all, giving many of us time to reflect on how we can do this better in our communities and the world. Yeah. And one of the things, and this is why I don't think the poem should have said, you know, this is like Sabbath. I think it should say it's like exile because Sabbath isn't necessarily that time for you to contemplate how you change. Um, exile is like, Hey, you're out of your normal pattern. Um, and you're going to have to deal with this abnormally and that's going to force you to consider some different things right um so I, I do think that that's a part of exile but then also the connection to judgment and how everybody it doesn't matter who you are you're experiencing this if you want to be rich and isolate yourself on an island until the quarantine is over which uh has happened by the way um what's that soccer player's name oh i can't remember it now but yeah he He's like, I'm, I'm taking my loved ones. We're going to this island. Uh, yes, Ronaldo. Um, uh, and he can do that. He's still experiencing the plagues. 
He's still experiencing the curses, and and he might even more so once this is said and done, depending on how it goes, right? Uh, so I, I do think that that's that's an interesting um, an interesting thought. Anybody else have anything? Tyler, I think this has also been making me think about my health, you know, and like sometimes not taking care of our health. Like I have autoimmune disease, so um, everybody's being careful around me because of that. And there's been a lot of times where I've wondered if I did this to myself, you know, um, which is just something to contemplate. But there is a part of me that feels bad that everyone's having to be careful around me because of what I have. And so um, every day when I think about how I'm going to do my, or like go through my day, I'm thinking about how can I continue to, or how can I care for myself better? Because right now I feel like I'm somewhat of a burden because my health is not as strong as everyone else's. So I don't know, the plague's making me think about a lot of things. Um, a lot of things that maybe I'm doing that I could, I could do better so that my, the other people who are depending on me can continue to depend on me, I guess. I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly, but it's definitely getting me contemplative about that. I think there's a little bit of be careful of guilt versus shame there. Yeah. Um, and here's where my head goes. So you're feeling guilty that other people who ordinarily don't have to consider anybody but themselves might have to consider how their actions will affect another person, maybe for the first time. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's a bad thing. It's an inconvenient thing, and it's a, it's a difficult thing, and it can be dangerous. Um, but I don't think you should necessarily be like, I caused this, I'm a burden now. Um, we're, we're all, anybody can look wherever they want to find out how they're a burden in the midst of this. Okay, yours is maybe a little bit more explicit. Um, but I think the conversation needs to go to like, how do we interact differently now? And if there's stuff that, you, yeah, fine, you can, you can look at ways that you could change. But if you're making, you just be careful of making this into, you know, are there things that I've done in my life that made me like this, which now are negatively affecting other people? Be, be really careful with that line of thought because it's all hypothetical, mm-hmm. right? And you don't, you have no way of proving that. You have no way of creating causation from that. You can get some correlation between different things, sure. Um, but I, I would say shift your focus to the, what do we do now? How does this help change us all for the better? And not just you, all for the better, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I thought I saw somebody who was wanting to respond somewhere. No? I'll say I I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat as Kelly, just that um, my first reaction would normally like be, oh, I should go like check on my grandparents. I should go see them. Like I, I'm having to think like, okay, how can I creatively be there for somebody that I can't physically be there for? And that's so hard. And um, 
and it's it's like everything is shutting down like you know even if even if you have a job maybe you're getting a pay cut maybe you don't have a job and you can't even help financially you can't help like by being in the same space or like going and getting something for that person because you don't want to make them sick um so yeah like you said we kind of have to be super creative about how we do help the people we want to help remember the storm is endured by everyone and the question is how are you going to endure the storm and so what kind of house are you have you built what kind of house are you building and what kind of house are you going to build and maybe the house you built before wasn't all that great fine you have you have an opportunity right now to change that um but we have to be thinking of the kind of world that's going to result from this and how what we do in the meantime is a part of it. You know, there's suffering right now. And I hate going into the theodicy that says um, God causes suffering. The image that I think we get within the biblical narrative um, the, the primary thing that we get in terms of how God interacts with suffering is that God always joins us in suffering. Um, God at, at one point in uh, the book of Exodus is called compassion. Like that's the name God's given and which just means to suffer with. Um, there's also a really interesting um, image that comes when the temple curtain is torn after Jesus is killed, which I think gives a, profound example of how God suffers with us. Um, there's a line that I say at every funeral I do where I, where I say, um, the God who tears your clothes in response to our suffering. And that comes from that, that image there. Um, but yeah, how, how we're going to act now will help determine the kind of world we're going to build. And that should be honestly a response to a healthy perspective of judgment. Um, and that will involve some guilt and that will involve some, some confrontation of ourselves and that will involve some repentance. But if there's a, an opportunity for the church to be like, hey, us as a globe, we should all repent together. This would be a good time. Um, before, before something happens of which we can't repent from. You know what I mean? Okay. Any other thoughts, anyone? Something that I would challenge you all to do, especially if you're going through discipleship right now, is um, to write out your own articulation of what judgment is. Um, and, and how all of this works. It's, it's, there's so much bad theology around judgment that I really hope that we can have more and more people in the world who can articulate this stuff better. Um, so I'd encourage, I'd encourage you all to, to kind of go like, what did you hear in this, in this conversation today? How would you express judgment, curses, um, theodicy, all that stuff? Can I say a thing about judgment? Yeah. I remember hearing that, that judgment can also be about mercy, that sometimes we're more judgmental of ourselves than, than the divine is of us, that it's like sometimes we can look upon a person and see them with mercy. So some, I feel sad. Some of you seem like you have so much guilt. <laughs> That's too bad. 
it's just an opportunity to change. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it's like now I know I need to change, but it's also showing mercy to yourself and, and saying my judgment is that I'm going to try to, you know, the, the, to see myself with God's eyes instead of the way you might see. Mm. That you have, a, you know, God would have a more merciful view of us. Yeah. Amy, I don't think, I don't think that I hear, I, I, it's, it is guilt for sure, but I think it's more, um, it's more, I don't know how to change. And that's what I hear from the other um, ladies who spoke up is that sometimes this situation makes me feel like I don't, if I am experiencing guilt, then you can look around and, and see how you need to change and then begin to change it. This is a little paralyzing. Mm -hmm. Like this situation is a little paralyzing in that. I don't know how to change. Like just a, a like a practical example is if I'm getting paid, then should I look at um, how you know my paycheck and say who can I give part of it to? Um, you know, like all is that appropriate and where do I start? And um, so I just or if I you know Hans works at a hospital and so he deals with um, with thoughts every day about how he's going to go to that hospital and, um, you know, be around the dishes of people who are sick and then come home and be with his new wife who has an autoimmune disease who he probably will give the virus to. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's just paralyzing. Like, how do we change? Does Hans quit his job so that I don't get sick? Or um, do I give my paycheck away? Or what are all those things which keeps me dependent on um, and in conversation with God, which is awesome. It's just that this is different because normally I can, I can take guilt about something and apply a change. And to know what that change is right now is, is not as clear as it used to be. Yeah. Um, what you said about being paralyzed, um, I want to remind you that the book of Lamentations is in the Bible. And... Um, putting Lamentations in the context of that's the beginning of their exile, right? Their city just got destroyed. They're going off as, as slaves. And their first response is they have permission to throw their fist in the air and be paralyzed for a while before they have to do anything, um, right? There's, there has to be a season for like, yeah, hey, right now, I want us to all start asking the questions about our future. I want us to all start moving in that direction. Some of us might need to stop and be like, I am stinking lost and I'm angry and I don't understand this and that's okay. And the image that you get within Lamentations is God is right there also throwing his fist up in the air saying, I don't get this, okay? And there has to be room for that. That per paralysis is part of the process. Don't stay in paralysis, but acknowledge it, honor it, okay? Let it shape you. Um, I, I want to share one more thing that I have kept hidden until now. Um, I have alluded to it, but I just want to read this last piece of scripture um, as a way to help tie all of this together and, and kind of put us into our context for where we are going. So um, if you have a Bible, do uh, Deuteronomy 30. And this is actually the end of, um, end of the book. And I would, I would tell you like, read this whole, um, this whole chapter is, is, is so, is so good. Um, let 
Okay, so I'm going to read. No, that's not the part I want to read. Read the whole chapter if you're if you're bored today, which it sounds like some of you might be. Um, okay, so starting in verse one, when all these things have happened to you, the blessings and the curses that I have set before you. If you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God and you and your children obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, just as I am commanding you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, gathering you again from all the peoples among whom the Lord your God has scattered. Even if you are exiled to the ends of the world, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land that your ancestors possessed, and you will possess it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. It's going to happen. The blessings and the curses. And the one thing that God says before that whole book is done is, and remember, no matter how bad the exile gets, I'll always bring you home. The story will always end with the action of God, okay? And, and for us today, like we're in exile, we can always come home. We can always return home. And, and the action of God will speak the last word. Whatever we're in right now doesn't have to be the last word of the story. We bring this up all the time in terms of resurrection, is the story is not finished and a new word can be spoken and the author is still writing and the invitation for us in the midst of exile and judgment is will we keep writing a good story? So just, just remember, in the midst of all of it, God always says, I'll always, always bring you back home.